Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot of us live this lifestyle and, and in and out of it, you know, we get beautiful things, but we also get our train wrecks. The big thing is, is that throughout it, the love remains consistent. And that's the part that we should focus on more than anything else. Because you're never, ever going to not have problems in life. And you're never, ever going to agree on everything. But you can't always love each other. And uh, that has been the big lesson of my life, in, in particular. She was a lady, a questionable character. He was a man with a second-hand plan. He liked to drink. Stumble again was the kind of love you wouldn't understand. Welcome to Right Lane, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times. Each week, Times reporter Lane Gregory discusses her stories and answers your questions. The focus is on craft. My name is Maria Carrillo, and I'm the Enterprise Editor at the Times. Today, we're talking about one of Lane's recent stories, something she reported in two days. It was the latest installment in a series we call Encounters, where we focus on short narratives. This one was about a musician named Funky D. Today's topic, how many people get to plan their own funeral. Lane? By 4 p.m. that Saturday, the fiddler was tuning on the makeshift stage. The sound guy was dialing in the drums. But the keyboard player, who also was the lead singer, still hadn't shown. Should we call him, someone asked. Give him time. I hope he's okay. This was supposed to be Daryl Cuisenberry's show. After 40 years of playing other people's music, he was finally getting to showcase his own songs. Over the last few months, after his colon cancer came back, friends and fellow musicians pushed him to put together a gig, and the owner of the Craftsman House in St. Petersburg opened his gallery. The concert had been sold out for a week, but people kept calling, begging to get in. Funky D, from Floyd to Florida, said the posters. They listed bands he'd been in across the state. Funky Seeds, Charlie Dandelion, Food, Urban Gypsies, Porcupine, Funky D's Deja Voodoo, an evening of stories and song. About 4.20 p.m., the side door opened, and a thin man with a long gray goatee limped into the room, leaning on another man's arm. D, as friends call him, was wearing a patchwork jacket and had pulled a burgundy tam over his bald head. Someone carried his keyboard. Someone else shouldered the synthesizer. There he is. You okay, man? Slowly, D, 54, shuffled to the stage and hugged each band member, musicians he called his dream team. They'd never played together as a group. Most were half his age. Thank you, he said. Thank you all. You have no idea how much this means to me. Over the last 20 years, I had seen D plays at fundraisers and hippie jams, rock, jazz, blues, My husband, Dan, has played drums in unlimited devotion with him for the past three years. I knew how revered Dee is, that people call him the godfather of St. Petersburg music. But I'd never talked to Dee until the day before the show. Knowing your days are numbered can be a blessing and a curse, he said. Three years ago, when he was first diagnosed, he tried chemo, herbal supplements, and radiation infusions. 
friends cleansed his house with sage, brought him CBD oil, set up crystals. But the best medicine was music. When he went into remission, he started traveling again, crashing in the back seat of the van between shows, relying on other people to carry his gear. Once he got behind the keyboards, the adrenaline transformed him. Most people in the audience never knew he was sick and hurting and hadn't eaten in days. Between gigs, Dee started sorting through lyrics he'd scribbled on scraps of paper, envelopes and napkins, trying to figure out what he most wanted to say, how he wanted to be remembered. He didn't really have a set list for Saturday's show, just two dozen songs he'd started writing when he was 11 years old. Most of my songs are joyous, improvisational journeys. I hope people come away with a sense of community, everyone speaking the same language, he said. Music isn't a religion, but it's very spiritual for me. It binds us together. His brother and surrogate dad had traveled from Virginia. Another friend had flown in from Oregon. He wanted to thank them, to tell them how much they meant to him. How many people get to plan their own funeral? The show was supposed to start at 6.30. A half hour later, Dee still wasn't on stage. Gallery owner Jeff Shore ducked into the back where Dee was slumped in an armchair, holding a silver bucket in his lap, getting sick. You ready for me to start the announcements? Shore asked. Dee shook his head no. He had inadvertently taken the wrong pills. Morphine, not steroids. He's like a drunk driver without a car, said his friend Bruce Goldberg, who's been taking care of Dee for months. He'll be fine out there, he told Shore. He told Dee, go have a ball. Leaning on Goldberg, swaying slightly, Dee made it to the stage and slid behind his keyboard. The audience erupted with applause. We love you, Dee. Shore said Dee had helped him buy and run sound systems, stage shows for other musicians, entertained countless crowds. He'd known him, he said, from back when Dee played the drums and went by Animal. Then, after Dee became a father, he was called the Reverend. In recent years, he took up keyboards and transformed into the front man, Funky Dee. Dee waved to the crowd. Hi, everybody, he said. How intimate is this? If I happen to throw up in the middle of this, just carry on. It's part of the act. He talked about his childhood, growing up in a very hard situation, seven people living in a two-room trailer near the Blue Ridge Mountains. His dad was a banjo picker who drank himself out of the business, but he took Dee to bluegrass shows and invited Ricky Skaggs, Vassar Clemens, and Tony Rice over to jam. This man right here, where are you, Bob? Bob Butterworth waved from the front row. I'm sorry, I'm heavily medicated, said Dee. This man right here gave me a job washing dishes at his restaurant when I was 13. He brought his buddies into his restaurant, 20 or so of them at a time, and ended up jamming with them. They helped me get drums, gave me a place to stay, and made me realize there was life outside Floyd, Virginia. He thanked the guy who taught him to play piano and thanked his ex-girlfriend, the mother of his only child. Then he turned to Tuesday, his 26-year-old daughter. Tuesday saved me, he told the audience. She transformed him into someone more measured and gentle. He held on long enough to see her get married recently. His only regret, he said, is that she should be enjoying life, not watching him die. She's my best friend, he said. Of everything I've done, I'm most proud of my relationship with her. He hadn't even sung a note, and half the audience was wiping their eyes. When Dee moved to Florida in 1990, he planned to play in a band to pay for college. He wanted to become a jazz professor. There wasn't really a music scene in Tampa Bay then, he said. He joined a couple of cover bands, then formed an original act half-baked guru. They signed a national tour and opened for the Spin Doctors. Then things fizzled. Dee doesn't even have a t-shirt. When his daughter was born, he took any gigs he could find to stay close to her. He estimates he's played with more than 100 bands, sometimes five at a time. 
I didn't choose this. It chose me, he said. I tried to stop. For a year, I thought I'd be a chef or go corporate. The music was always a catalyst for everything good in my life. He'd wanted to have at least a dozen kids, he said. Instead, he has hundreds of acolytes who learned by his side and are carrying his torch. He hopes they remember all the great music they made together and, even more, how much fun it was. When intermission stretched over an hour, people began to worry that Dee wouldn't come back. Guests milled around the gallery, looking at paintings and pottery, sharing cell phone videos from the first act. They all gushed about Dee, how his original tunes were blowing them away. Louie Johnson, a fan for more than 23 years, couldn't stop crying. I've never been this happy to be in a place, she said, to be right here at this moment, right now, with these people. Just after 9 p.m., Dee labored back on stage and sank onto a stool. He picked up the microphone and scanned the crowd. He coughed, started to speak, then swallowed and stared at the floor. The audience was silent, expectant. Finally, he looked up. This is going to be my last show, he said softly. I've been playing out since I was 13, so this is tremendously emotional for me. But I've missed more gigs in the last month than I have in my whole life. I just can't do it anymore. He was scheduled to jam at a Grateful Dead festival the next weekend, but wasn't sure he'd have the energy. He can only be out of bed for a couple hours. He's in constant pain. He's not scared or angry, though. I'm just grateful, he said, and amazed at this life that I've been allowed. If he has anything left, he told the audience, he wants to finish his first album. I'm doing it old school on vinyl, he said. Something tangible, so his music will live on. For the next hour, Dee sang in a soft, raspy voice about drunk friends, leaning on each other, wasting precious time. Love and memories pass you by. There's no one here left to cry. No need to wonder why. Ain't it sad when we have to say goodbye. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I, I just want to say it's so fun for me to listen to you read this story because normally, and I'm sure we, we've talked about this a lot, but I always like to read my reporter's work out loud as we're sitting there doing the editing process. So, so we're tweaking and I'm reading out loud and, you know, I'm giving my edits and then invariably, you know, Lane will say, Oh wait, that sounded, let's cut this. And we, and we tweak away and, and then we get through the story. But, but now we, I get to listen to what we published and, and I can, I can see the places where we cut things and, and it just sort of, it's like, Oh, okay, good. We did. That was a good move. Okay. Um, but anyway, this was a story that you were, Super interested in getting someone to do, not necessarily you, because you, you know, you had the personal connection um, that Dan plays with, with Funky D. So, but what, what was driving you? Because I know we, we talked about a lot. We actually pitched different, different events where he was going to be to different people. And, and we kept striking out with pe- the people, the right people we thought could do the story. And then the moment passed and, and they couldn't make it. But what was it that would... What, I mean, obviously it's emotional, but what, what, what connected for you with this guy? Well, I, I've, I wanted to write about this for a while, and I think because I live in this world, you know, I met my husband in college, and he was in a bunch of bands, and it was just, it's this whole alternative world that if you're not in it, it's, it's 
a little foreign or alien, but if you're in it, it becomes so much your world, you know? Um, and, and a lot of the people in, especially in these circles that I've known here, are it's their family, you know? It, it really becomes your second family to be with this group of people. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't think anybody saw it the same way I did because I pitched it to three of our other reporters, and I think you pitched it to an editor or two, and they were like, yeah, okay, well, no, we can't get there. Like, no one... No one cared about it the way that I did. And no one understood it the way you did either. Maybe I that's think. part of it yeah. too. And I think part of it, it's it's really personal. I'm still wiping my eyes. <laughs> it's really personal because it reminds me of my husband and all of his friends who I've watched. You're in your 50s now. You know, you've, you've played all these gigs. It's fun when you're 20s, you're drinking beer, you're out dancing with your friends. By the time you're in your 50s, it's your identity, right? And And it's... It's other people's music that makes the money, usually, unless you're one of those rare bands that can make it as an original thing. You're out there playing Jimmy Buffett and the Grateful Dead for people who want to hear the same songs they've heard for 30 years. Right. So the opportunity to finally get to, to sing your own songs for people, you know, to tell your own story to people, but also it's your last shot, that just seemed so profound to me. You know, like his whole life was in these little Ziploc bags of scraps of paper that he'd collected and wrote down his thoughts, but no one had ever heard them. He'd never taken the time to put them together. And all of a sudden, you know, he's my age. You're in your middle 50s and you're going to throw it all away. You know, not throw it away, but lose it all, basically. So I, I really thought that that moment of, of him finally getting to, to share his songs and music was important. And also just knowing the community, how many people were interested in going. I, I'm friends with Jeff from who owns the shop. And he kept saying, oh, my God, phone's been ringing all the week. Everybody wants to come to this show, you know. So it did seem like it was impactful for local people as well and then we of course we recently had jan winburn on the podcast and she was talking about um becoming more comfortable with reporters putting themselves into stories and and acknowledging connections and making personal connections and so i don't know i think we had that in our heads as we were like okay well this this event is coming up and it's kind of like well so what say just say in the story that you, you know, you know of this guy because your husband's been playing for years in St. Petersburg. And it's not like, it's not like, we, there's a whole community of people here who know, they know who you are and who Dan is and, and the connection. So, um, and I thought we did it pretty well. It was a one paragraph and then you're out, you know, you right. basically. Quick acknowledgement. Yeah. Like uh, we're not trying to hide anything here on this. I mean. Didn't feel weird to you, did it? Or did it I think it was bit. better because Jan, thank you. I think having talking that through <laughs> with Jan, right. it was helpful, you know, because I, my instinct, you know, from the era we grew up is don't ever put yourself in a story. Don't ever, ever, ever. And, and now I know and a lot that of people. And that's a negative, are. right? As opposed to like you're just talking about. I'm not sure anybody could have written this quite the same way you can because you know this world so well, and so it it it's not a it's not a negative. It's actually a, an advantage to to have you just sort of acknowledge that and then get back into it in a way that, you know, you understand it. Well, and I also, I think I had the advantage of, you know, Susan Arlene talks about masters of tiny universes. You know, this is a tiny universe within our world, but I, I think I had the advantage of um, being both a fangirl, you know, from watching him at all these festivals and dancing and camping, but also being an insider because my husband was driving the van that he was throwing up in on the back on the way to gigs, yeah. you know. You were, so you were hearing sides. about it, too. Yeah. You've been hearing about it for months. And I didn't know him, which was also, I think, helpful. I knew of him. I knew lots about him. I knew of him as a performer, but I'd never been to his house. I'd never met his daughter. I'd never seen his dog, you know. Which is interesting, right? Because you like he's he's just on stage, which it makes sense, kind of, because, you're you know, they're working. Right. My whole interaction with him has, had been watching him as a someone in the audience. So you're Dan's wife. Right. He knows you as Dan's wife, and yeah. So talk a little bit about the reporting process. You know, so you, like you said, you didn't know him really. So you go over to his house. 
got to be a little awkward. Hi. Yeah, I think. <laughs> and here's why I'm here. Well, you helped, I think, in terms of like, let's just make this a really tight frame around this one show. You know, like right. I, I could have gone to the festival with him. I could have gone camping with him, you know. Yeah. But having that one show to frame it around. So the show was Saturday night. I went to his house Friday. He basically could only talk to me for an hour and a half. And then he had to like go lie down. So I was exhausting him. You know, I could tell that um, he thought a lot about what he wanted to say. Um, before I came, which was also really helpful. He had, he's on, was on chemo and his brain was fuzzy, but he made some notes, you know, and, and thought through what was important for him to tell in terms of his biography. Um, the thing he, he didn't have, which I thought was interesting, was lyrics that I could use, you know, that they weren't written down in a way that I could access them. Um, but yeah, I just sat at his house with him and his dog for like an hour and a half, and then I talked to his daughter for a little bit, talked to some of his friends for a bit, um, got to the concert. Dan gets there about two hours early, so I went over with him and was there while they were setting up. So I got to talk to the other guys in the band and the guy who owned the gallery, and I just hung out for the night. And, you know, I didn't realize there was going to be tension about whether he'd make it through the show, but seriously, nobody knew if he'd come back on stage, which was also sad but interesting for the story. You know, what was at stake? Because Could he finish his own concert? Yeah, you, pr- you, you probably, you entered more... How many people do you interview for this story? I don't know, seven, eight people? Yeah. Maybe more? Ten and then, at the most. And yeah. then Dan, of course, gave you some contacts, too. But and a lot of the interview was like, how long have you been watching D? What do you like about his music? Mm-hmm. You know, where have you seen him? It wasn't super intense. Right. Um, yeah, let's talk a little more about the frame, because this is this is the, you know, when you're doing short narratives, when you're trying to do a short narrative, or you're trying to do something off the news, and you, a daily, um, having that frame, something that you can watch and just dive in, and I, it's just, it's it's so much easier. I mean, if you had, if we hadn't had that, and you had to just sort of follow him around and get a snippet here and a snippet there, um, it becomes much more complicated. I mean, so this was kind of a gift to us, too, that, that he was doing it this way, because it gave you an opportunity just to watch it and, and let it be, you know, whatever happens that night becomes, this is the moment. So, um, and I, and I don't, it, sometimes they're there and you just have to look for that opportunity. What is, you know, whatever s- short narrative you want to try to do, what's, what's, what can you watch? What can you just be there, be the fly on the wall, take it all in, right? It's so helpful when you start to write too, whether it's a, a, a concert you're covering or a speech or an event of right. some kind. Let's start right before it starts. Let's end right I didn't end when it ended there. But he had a little bit more at the end. And we, we had an alternative ending, remember? We had two endings. Yeah, Wayne we had two endings on this story, people. Because he ended singing someone else's song. He sang um, I Shall Be Released by the band, which or by Bob Dylan, the band does. But I love, love that song. And everybody was bawling when he sang that song. And then when we went back to edit, I was like, we should end on his words. You know, he's a writer. He deserves to have the last word. They were both good endings, yes. I, I will <laughs> say, because it's Lane. So they're both good endings. But it was like, yeah, there was like... Well, is it a is it a nod to Dylan or is it his own work? And yeah, and it and it could have gone either way. Either one would have been a good ending. But I think you're right. I think ending on his own music, since that was the whole point of this event, was better. And and then that came through also the kind of the final uh, self edit or check that I do, where I go, what if I was that guy? How, you know, what if I was that guy? I was writing about how would I want it to end? I'd want it to end on my words. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I want to go back to uh, just a couple moments in this story because I, I mean, I. You know, part of the reason we do this podcast is to, to teaching moments. Um, there's a section, you know, where Lane is talking about, um, you see Dee performing. He's talking. He's talking to the cr- crowd. And he, and he talks about his 
daughter. And it's a really emotional moment. And it's a really powerful thing that he says, right? He says, uh, um, she's my best friend of everything I've done. I'm most proud of my relationship with her. I think a lot of reporters would have left that as the kicker of that section because it's very emotional. But you took it one step further and you said he hadn't even sung a note and half the audience was wiping their eyes. What I love about that is that you are not, you're controlling this moment as a writer, but you're also helping me as the reader see the emotional impact, right? I'm, you're not just, or he's not just telling me in the moment how much his daughter means to him, but I'm also getting a chance to see that this, that whole audience is connecting to it. Anyway, it's just a, I mean, you know, when, when you were reading it, I was, I, I, when you're reading, I'm typically kind of listening to it again. And I was just struck by that. And you do that a lot. You don't give away your kickers. You know, you take a lot of precise care with your kicker and making sure that you're doing the most with it. And I just thought that one right there is a really good example because I could see 95% of the reporters ending on what the guy said. Um, so anyway. I was, I was really, wa- I was in the back of the room, which was weird because I couldn't hear him a lot of the time. <laughs> and, and so it was also hard to report that way, right? right. But I was spent a lot of time watching the audience, which was great because from behind I could see what people were doing, you know. And I was also trying to be cognizant of like, not everybody can relate to writing songs. Not everybody can relate to being on stage and performing. Not everybody can relate to dying at 54 or whatever. But everybody can relate, or most everybody can relate to their relationship with their kids, you know. And whether you're, you've won a Pulitzer Prize or you've been elected senator of your state, I think a lot of people still think the thing that's most treasured is this relationship with your child. And for him to say it like that, and she was sitting in the second row, it was just, oh, everybody, everybody let that emotional moment just kind of linger there. Well, and it, I, I think it had that impact too. Of you, I think you're right. Obviously, that's that's what that's what we're all going to be. That's what we're going to be when we're on, we're in his shoes. If we're lucky enough to to see it coming, um, that you know we get to look back on our lives and and cherish that. But I've also thought it was really nice that he, you know, he had a moment that you know maybe in another era would have been the gold watch at your retirement party or something. But he had a chance to kind of say, you know, my life. Maybe it wasn't what other people would deem incredible success because, like you said, he's playing everybody else's music. But at the same time, he's like, wow, look at this legacy he made. All these people are here connecting to him, and he has all these like um, mentees and people who are going to go off and keep thinking about him and trying to live their lives the way he lived his. I mean, I don't know. This is very, very nice. It, it, it's really, um, it was real special, too, just to see, like you said, the impact because I think, you know, what's the takeaway when – when Dan and his friends are on stage making music, they're making people happy. You know, their whole job is to make people happy. And if they get people up and dancing, then like, oh, my God, that was a successful night. And what a great profession to be in, right? That your whole job is making people happy and connect with strangers. I, I think that's very lucky. Okay, on that note, if you have a question for Lane or would like to suggest a podcast topic, please email it to writelane at tampabay.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-L-A-N-E at tampabay.com. Another shout out for our new Right Lane group on Facebook. Come on, join us there. Uh, Tell us what you want to hear. Tell us what you want to talk about. Uh, And join us next week on Wednesday morning for the next podcast. This podcast was produced by Marta Asenio Ryan. Music was composed and performed by Dan DeGregory. Thanks for listening.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.